1: Hello, and welcome to episode number 164 of the Love Life Connection podcast. As always, I'm super excited to be here in your earbuds today, and thank you so much for tuning in. I know there are many podcast options out there, and I'm so, so incredibly grateful that you've decided to tune in to this one. Now, I've been talking a lot here on the podcast and also in my newsletter that I have created an intention for myself that I want to get even more real, more authentic. And again, it's not that I've been fake or putting up a facade. Before then, it's just that I want to know for myself, how can I peel back the layers even more? You know, because I have a lot of fear around, well, what are people going to think? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to think this? Are they going to think that? Am I a fraud? Should I be doing this? Right? Like those things come across my mind as well. And I find that the more I can just be real about that and more I can be real about what's just going on in my life and my thoughts and the reality and all that kind of stuff, then it just helps me to feel more real for you, which actually surprisingly helps you to connect more with yourself. Because when you look at other people on Instagram or listen to their podcasts and everything is so polished and perfect and everything, then what I find is it actually makes me more disconnected from myself because comparison-itis sets in. Or it makes me think, oh, God, they have it together. Or, oh, God, like, well, they can do it because they have this. Or they can do it because they have that. And none of that stuff is true, nor is it helpful or serving for either one of us in the long run. So I thought today I would share 10 things that you didn't know about me. And I was writing my list as I was thinking, okay, what am I going to share with everyone today? And some of the things I'm actually surprised came out of me. And so I'm a little nervous to share some of this stuff with you. Some Not so nervous, it's just interesting fun facts about me. But there are a few things where I'm a little embarrassed to share, and I think that's good, right? I think it's good for me to put myself out there even more um, because yeah, this is an opportunity for me to be judged and for someone to just tear me down even more. But it's also a massive growth and learning opportunity for me. And I hope that it inspires you to do the same in your own life. And plus, like, let's be honest, we're all kind of nosy people and we love behind the scenes. Am I right? Or am I right? Okay, so let's get started. Number one, one thing you may not know about me is I've been struggling with food lately. So I talked a little bit last year about how everything was just making me feel bloated and like really gassy, like painful gassy, like maybe that's TMI, but a lot of really awful digestive issues. And so I worked with a nutritionist and she helped massively. And what we came to realize is that FODMAPs, which is a certain kind of, it's not a certain kind of food, but. It's a lot of different kind of foods that have a certain chemical compound, which can be a little bit more timely or takes more time to digest, which can create fermentation in the body, which can create the uh, gassiness and the bloatedness and just the general like feeling. And so I did a a diet to see which kind of foods were bothering me most and i have to say that it was relatively inconclusive i definitely have an idea of what makes me sick and what doesn't but it's like not all the time it's really like i can have most foods but if i have some foods too much then it makes me really sick and i haven't figured out what that balance is and so i've been in a point now where it's i i don't have a lot of motivation to cook and to make fresh healthy things like i used to because honestly, a lot of the things that were making me sick were vegetables and also beans, including tofu and lentils and black beans, all that kind of stuff. And I prefer to eat 90% vegetarian. And so if I'm not eating a lot of vegetables, that bothers me because I believe we all need to eat vegetables. And if I'm not really eating beans, then I don't really want to eat that much meat. I've just been constantly in this like, what am I supposed to be eating? And so I end up just eating popcorn, And sushi and things that I know aren't going to make me sick, but may not have the most nutritional value. And it's really been bothering me because I kind of just don't know what to eat. And I feel like this has always been something in my life that I felt really good about. I've always loved cooking, I've always loved meal planning and preparing healthy things and cutting vegetables and shopping for vegetables and eating vegetables. And now I'm just kind of in a place of like, oh, I don't really know what to eat. It all makes me sick. And so then I just get overwhelmed and I don't eat that great and it's something that i'm working on right now the second thing you might not know about me is i lived in syria for a few months i lived when i was in grad school so i don't know if most of you all know or not i went to grad school at hebrew university in jerusalem i was i got, was getting my masters in middle eastern studies And as part of our Middle Eastern Studies requirement, we had to pass a certain proficiency in both Hebrew and Arabic. And I did not like the Hebrew, or excuse me, I did not like the Arabic program at Hebrew University. And so I thought instead I would go to... Uh, Syria to learn Arabic, mostly because they did have a program for foreigners and it was the cheapest program. And I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go the cheap route. And so I went to Syria and it was one of the best experiences of my life. I lived with a Syrian family who I'm still in touch with. This was long before the war. And as far as I know, everyone in the family is safe, although their life has drastically changed since the war began. Um, But it's just really weird you know having lived in Damascus and traveled all over the country and then seeing on the news, you know, this place got blown up or that place is a is a war country or or whatever or war torn zone and it's really surreal because i realize that i've never actually have been to a place and then later it turned into essentially what is a a war zone so it's very surreal um, it's obviously sad, and that's like the understatement of the century, like on, on so many levels, on the human level, on the history level. Um, Syrians are an amazing people. I've never had a bad experience with Syrians. You know, every time I share share some, to someone that I lived in Syria, they always say, oh, well, did you feel safe or what was that like? And yeah, there's obviously problems with the Syrian government, and it is a brutal dictatorship. But in terms of the people, Everyone was so kind to me, so nice, um, so willing to help me learn Arabic, and also didn't really have much of a choice because their English wasn't as good as my Arabic, so Arabic was the most common denominator, and it was. It was amazing. Um, I will put some pictures of of my time in Syria on the show notes if you're curious to look and see what it looked like. Oh, also one more fun fact about me living in Syria is there is a Jew, or there was, I don't know if there is now, but there was a Jewish community there still. And there was a very thriving Jewish community, especially in Aleppo, which is a few hours north of Damascus. And so I went to, I was there in Syria over, I want to say, I was definitely there for Yom Kippur. I think I was there for Rosh Hashanah too, but I don't remember which are like the Jewish high holidays. And when I was there, so I found this family. I don't remember how I, oh, I found this family through a friend. That was right. I found this family through a friend and they were Jewish and they're like, oh yeah, we'll take you to synagogue. Because There's this operating synagogue in Damascus. And so, um, And so I went, and everyone there is over like 80 or 85 because most young Syrians have um, fled, have left. And most are actually, most Syrian Jews are living in Brooklyn. There's a small number in Israel, but as part of the deal of letting Syrian Jews leave Syria, they weren't technically allowed to go to Israel. They had to go immigrate to America, but some went to Brooklyn and then went to Israel, and some actually ended up staying in Brooklyn. Um, in Brooklyn. So that's the largest Syrian Jewish community outside of Syria. Actually, no, no total. It's bigger than the Syrian Jewish community now. Anyways, I digressed. And so there was one guy there who was probably in his, I don't know, I'm just guessing, but maybe mid-40s or so. And so everyone was trying to marry me off to him to try to save the Syrian Jewish people, which unfortunately I was not able to, to do that. Uh, so um, the Syrian Jews, at least in Syria, are definitely literally dying out, but hopefully they are thriving in Brooklyn, New York. Um, but I thought that was just always a really fun fact to share. I have a million stories I can share about that, like having Israel in my past passport you're not allowed to have that but then that would be a whole episode in itself and we're going to move on uh so as i said number four i lived in syria so i spoke arabic and so my first job after grad school was i was a translator and a researcher for a law firm working on mass tort international terrorism cases so we were representing victims of various terrorist attacks And uh, I was the translator and also the researcher. So because of my Arabic skills, it kind of moved me up the chain pretty quickly. Um, So I got to travel with my boss all over the world and the country to do depositions and do research assignments because they needed someone, you know, on these trips who had some Arabic knowledge. And so I got to fly business class all over the world. And it was so amazing. I mean, I was like... 24 at the time, I had no money to my name except for my leftover student loan money. And here I was flying business class with a pretty um, powerful attorney. And and he worked for a pretty famous attorney as well. So it was just totally surreal. And everyone thought that I was completely crazy when I left that job, because obviously it paid pretty well. I stayed there for about two years. But essentially, it wasn't my soul's calling. Um, When I talk about the big picture of what we are working on, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. I could talk about it all day long. But when it came to the day to day, I was just looking at two computer screens all day long. One was in Arabic and one was in English. And it just I mean, I couldn't keep my eyes open past two o'clock at my office ever. And so one day, I had a really, really bad migraine. And so I closed my office door and turned the lights off and decided I was gonna take a 1015 minute nap. And while I was napping, I got this call from this guy who was like some surfer dude in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was like, who is this guy? How did he get my number? And he was inviting me to apply for a job on the Obama campaign. And then the rest is history from from there. All right, number five, I've been talking a lot about like, Israel Jewish stuff. So this is the last one, I promise, and we'll move on to other things. So number five is I've always had a hard time feeling like I belong in the Jewish community because because of my opinions on Israel and Palestine. Again, that can be a whole other episode. I'm not going to get too into the politics or the weeds, but I believe that Palestinians have Rights And I believe that a lot of what Israel has done or is doing um, is not justified. And I don't feel comfortable. Well, I believe that Israel is an important place for the Jews. And I believe in Zionism and this spiritual idea of a spiritual return to that land. I fully believe in that. I don't fully believe in the... Um, Making it a nationalist movement. I've never I've never in the world and you can't convince me otherwise to be comfortable with the idea of creating a nation state based on any kind of ethnicity, religion. Any, any of that. And I just, I'm not comfortable with it. It feels weird. It feels icky. It feels gross to me. And I can't get behind it. And so while very much in a spiritual sense, I fully support Zionism. And that's originally what it was, when it turned into more of a nationalist movement back in the 1880s. So we're talking a long time ago, um, that I just, I personally just can't get on board with. And so it's definitely... Has I mean, people have called me a self-hating Jew. People have said, "Well, do you mean do you mean to say that you support, you know, suicide bombings in Israel?" And I mean, the answer is like, I mean, don't even have to answer that question. Of course, I don't support murder of any way, shape, or form. Uh, but it's been really hard to feel included in the Jewish community because whenever I would say anything along the lines of, "Hey, you know, Palestinians are humans and they have rights too." that would just immediately get shut down. And um, it wouldn't just be like, a hey, let's have an honest, open debate or conversation about it, which I'm more than happy to have. It was more of a personal attack on me. I was personally attacked, not physically, but personally attacked um, by a rabbi at the college at UNC that I went to. And uh, he called me a liar on his Facebook status, which I mean, like, whatever. But um he was also physically threatening um, me and my friends, like, you know, he was saying things like, if I ever saw you guys at a checkpoint in the West Bank, because he was, he's, I don't think he was in the military, the Israeli military at that, in that moment. Um, and it was, I mean, that part, you know, to me, doesn't really bother me, because I just kind of think he was a little bit out there and I'm not really into like wanting to please him or make him happy that that particular rabbi but it's really hard because I feel like I have to choose between expressing myself and being true to me and also being a part of a community that's really important to me because just because I don't believe in Jewish nas- nationalism and like the terms of a modern nation state I feel very connected to my Jewish roots and I want to feel connected to my Jewish roots and I feel connected to Um, My family that fled Russia um, back, you know, when, you know, Stalin's pogroms back in the um, 1910s or or whatever, I feel very connected to that. I feel very connected to Jewish ritual of the new moon. I mean, that is a Jewish thing that was been around long before New Age stuff got popular. I'm very into celebrating holidays, Jewish holidays, Shabbat. I, I love so much of it. But I just constantly feel this battle of, you know, can I be me and part of a Jewish community? And yes, there is, there are Jewish communities that share some of my opinions on Israel and also are Jewish and are actively Jewish. But those, and, and obviously in San Francisco, I'm living in the, or the Bay Area, I'm living in like the hotbed of that Um but it's hard. And um, I, I do prefer a more traditional style of Judaism. And um, it seems like the more you get more traditional with the traditions, you also get more conservative with some of the viewpoints. So finding that, you know, for thinking of a Venn diagram, that part where it overlaps is really, really quite small. And it's, uh it's really hard and it's going to be a lifelong I don't want to call it a struggle but I think it's just going to be a lifelong kind of like internal question that I'm always grappling with and um when do I bite my tongue and go for a shalom bite which is a Hebrew phrase which basically means peace of the house and when do I you know say hey like you know that's not fair to say that or hey, I actually don't agree with that. Or hey, this is what I believe. Or this is what I value. Um, yeah, I don't have an answer, but it's something that I that I question and struggle with and talk about, think a lot about. Okay, I think I've got my numbers off but that was number four. And this one is number five. And that is, I want to have a physical product someday. And really, I have no clue what that product might be. There is at one point where I thought, oh, maybe I would have some sort of chocolate company because I really, really love dark chocolate, but I don't like that it's really hard to find dark chocolate that doesn't have a bunch of sugar in it. And so I wanted to create some sort of dark chocolate, healthy sweet with another kind of sweetener that wasn't either fake sugar or just regular white sugar. I don't really think that I'm that passionate about chocolate to have that kind of business, but I just see myself one day having some sort of physical product or even like a physical location I've talked on and off about having a yoga studio or some sort of like central space. I really don't know what it is or what it might look like or what it might offer, but I just, I don't know. I just, I see it for myself. And one thing that I do know that I want to create, because people often ask me like, are you going to write a book? And I have a lot of opinions about self-help books. You guys probably know that. That's probably not big news. And to be honest, like, I don't really want to contribute to the noise. There's so many self-help books and dating advice books and this kind of books. And honestly, I don't think books are what most people need. Yes, they might have really great information. And I'm not saying that a book has never helped you or helped me, but I just don't think that's the best way I can serve my audience. What I do want to create, I think at some point, and I'm just saying this, I'm not promising anything is I really want to create some sort of journal, Um, like some sort of, okay, so let me tell you my vision. I don't know what it is exactly, but this is what I have thought of so far. So I don't know if you guys remember, but, and it depends on your age, if this is even around. So I'm 33. So when I was 13, so 20 years ago, there was all these little journals that you could buy. And I think you could buy them at places like Limited 2 or Claire's or the Icing or places like that. And it was like a boyfriend journal or a cute boy at school journal or whatever. And you could write his name and you could write, and it would have you like write a bunch of, I'd have a bunch of questions or fill in the blanks. So you could just write down all your crushes and, you know, why they were cute or why you liked them. Maybe. You guys run into this, but like I said, I've been boy crazy since an early age, um, and so my friend and I used to fill these out all the time. So okay, let's put a pin in that. So that's one thing, and then I have this worksheet that's inside my membership community, the Love Action Tribe, and. It's the relationship history chart. And in that chart, I ask a bunch of poignant questions around past relationships so you can begin to see patterns and begin to understand dynamics of the relationship and see it from a different way so you can begin to see what, you know, attracted you to that person and whatnot. And then from there, make shifts. And so what I really want to do is I want to kind of combine the idea of these little journals for preteens and the relationship history chart, which really does serve a purpose and really can help people to kind of coach themselves or see themselves through a process of patterns and then begin to untangle them. So I want to create a journal around that, and it's kind of also coupled with the idea of the five-minute journal. So it wouldn't necessarily be like a hundred-page journal, but there'd probably be like some sort of like intro section, and then. Um, you know, some sort of section that was a little bit more repetitive. So you could go back and look at past relationships, and i would have more questions on how to decipher that and, you know, help you to explore what it all means. Uh, So that's my idea. I want to create it. Um, I don't know when I'm going to create it. It's definitely not going to be this year. It might be next year, I don't know, but I just really think that could be really fun. Will I self-publish? Will I go through a publisher? Again, no clue. Right now, it's just an idea in my head, and I guess as of now, it's an idea that I've shared in this podcast episode, but that's all it is for now. Uh, But I just wanted to share that with you because I'm always thinking of new things and new ways I can serve you. And I don't know, maybe one day I'll have a business that's also totally different and separate from, from this. I have no clue, but I just know that there's something else in me other than coaching. And I think it's definitely a physical product. I just don't know what that physical product quite is or is quite yet. Okay. Number six, this feels like a lot. And I kind of can't believe I'm telling you this. Not even all my friends know this. Um, And I just, I just wrote it down and I just was like, do I really want to share this? And I thought, yeah, I do, because it's actually a really big part of why I do what I do. So when I was in college, I had an abortion and probably about five years ago, no, not five years ago, probably about four years ago, I had a miscarriage. So when I, I had an abortion, um, when I was in college, I had a boyfriend, the condom broke. I took the morning after pill and it didn't work. So I'm like the zero point, you know, whatever percent of that not working. And then um, I guess probably about 10 years later or so, I um, was mar- At this point, no, we are not married, but Stevie and I were together living together in Dallas and I had a miscarriage. I was not trying to get pregnant. I had actually an IUD in and often when an IUD doesn't work, it is because it fell out, the IED was exactly where it needed to be. So I actually technically had a chemical pregnancy where there was conception, but it didn't attach to the uterus. And so it um, ended up just being a miscarriage It's always going to be a miscarriage, just because it was a chemical pregnancy. And what these two experiences have really fueled in me is just tearing down the patriarchy, because there is I mean, those two experiences were very different, but some of the things that were the same was this idea of what a woman could and couldn't do with her body. So I actually had my abortion when I was living in Israel, um, which is really interesting because that was just going through their whole process and legal system on how to make it happen. And, And actually in Israel, it's quite easy to have an abortion if you're unmarried. If you're married, it's actually pretty difficult. And in, term, and in Dallas, when I first went in for, um, you know, for being pregnant, it was so fascinating what the doctor was just skirting around saying or not saying because he didn't want to legally get himself into trouble because it was very clear that this pregnancy wasn't going to be viable and I wanted a DNC. And the discussion that we were getting very unclear mixed messaging because no one wanted to say exactly what was medically necessary because of the laws that are there. And in fact, when it finally was a full on miscarriage, I had to go back to the ER a couple of times to get tested to make sure that, like, my blood level was at zero, whatever you guys, if you're. Been pregnant, or if you had a baby, or if you're a nurse, you know what I'm talking about. But just to make sure, I wasn't like there wasn't still some cells growing in me. And once it just was like, hey, I'm having a miscarriage. I need to make sure my my hormone levels at zero. Then the reaction and the way I was treated by the doctors and nurses and just the hospital staff was completely different. And so I I mean it it pisses me off to be totally honest. I mean, there's nothing else I can say or. Or there's nothing else. There's no other way to describe it except that it fucking pisses me off. That there that that people who created this these laws and even if you know it was men who created these laws, even if there was a female lawmaker, you know it was really these these laws are obviously much older, and the idea and the philosophy behind these laws are much older than any woman who is a lawmaker these days. And it pisses me off that we have to. Um, basically equate our bodies to a lump of cells. And that's what a woman is worth in our society. And I'm not going to, to stand for it. My body is my body. And, you know, the patriarchy thinking that they can come in and say, well, this is what you can or can't do, or your rights are now equal to this mass of cells that isn't even viable, or just the massive cells, yeah. That's not even viable. Is infuriating for me, and I just see the patriarchy um, infiltrating in so many other areas. It's not just women's healthcare, but it's also dating and relationships and um, and the workplace and just and just everything. And I mean, look, I'm not going to get into it too much. I've talked a lot about the patriarchy. Maybe I will do a full episode on the patriarchy another time. Although I think I've talked about it a lot here on the podcast. Um, But it's just something that fuels me every single day um, because I think that really to find real love, you have to find love outside of the system of the patriarchy. And the more that you play into the patriarchy, the more you're going to end up in crappy, toxic, non-fulfilling relationships because in that realm, there is a defined role for men in a defined role for women. And it's usually not going to be very fulfilling for the woman. So I've said my piece. Number seven, switching gears. Again, I still have the same anxiety and stress about my business and money than when I started. So when I started my business, I was making literally zero dollars. I had quit my job cold turkey because um, my boyfriend at the time and I were moving to Dallas. And so I literally had no money coming in. I eventually got a couple jobs teaching private or not private, but at that time group class yoga, which if you're not a yoga teacher, I was, I don't remember how much exactly I was making, but you're lucky to make $50 a class. So I was probably teaching like two or three of those classes a week. So do the math. I was maybe on a good month, I was making $500 a month, but it usually wasn't even that much. And so Rightfully so. I had a lot of stress and anxiety, like, oh my God, where, how am I going to get clients? How am I going to make this work? I don't know what I'm doing here. And I was just constantly in fear and scarcity mode and lack mode and always just, where's the money coming from? How am I going to pay my bills? What's going to happen? How, what's going to work? What's going to happen in the long run? And I always believed that if I could just make X amount a month, or if I could make X amount a year, then... I won't be stressed and it'll solve all my anxiety problems. And here's the thing, like, I'm at a point now in my business where I'm making a very decent salary. I'm making a salary of what most people might make in a quote unquote regular job. But a lot of that stress and anxiety haven't gone away. And here's the lesson that I want you to take from it. It's so easy to say, well, if I just had this, if I just had a relationship, if I just live in another city, if I just had another job, if I just made more money, then I wouldn't feel this way. And it's just not true. You know, if my 2015 year old self, 2015 year old, yeah, my my 2015 year old, no, I can't say this. If my 2015 self could peer into the future and see where I was going to be in 2019, she would tell me, shut the fuck up. You're just fine. I would kill to be where you are in business right now. So just get over yourself. Like, that's what she would say. And yet here I am. And I still face a lot of that, not face, but I still have a lot of that stress and anxiety. And why is it because my business isn't doing well? No, no. It's because the stress and anxiety isn't really about what's going on or not going on in my business. It's about something deeper and some fears and limiting beliefs that go way deeper and well beyond my business. And I could be making a million dollars a year and I could still feel the same way. And now I can fully see that. And so I know that in order to curb this anxiety and the stress, the answer is. Not another client, not another client. It's, you know, doing that deeper inner child work. Where is this coming from? What is this bumping up against? And you know, I'm I'm on the path, I'm doing the work, but I'm definitely I'm definitely not perfect. And so if you are catching yourself saying, like, if I just lived in another city, then everything would be better. If I just made more money, everything would be better. It's not true. It's not true. Notice what it what that belief is bumping up against, like what is that fear really about? And then you've got to focus on that, and not about changing your external circumstances. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't change your external circumstances. and you should learn to be happy. Yes, have goals. If you really believe that the city you're living in, is just not the place for you. It's not soul aligned. If you you desire a relationship, or if you desire more money, or a different job, or a different whatever, I want you to have those goals. And I want you to drastically change your life and and create the life in a very conscious, cultivated way. But I also want you to do it from a place of, um, I'm creating this on the outside, because it's reflecting how I feel on the inside. Because if you do it the other way around, you're going to constantly be feeling like you're kind of stretching and constant, like there's no end point where, where you're just frustrated because you feel like you're never making any progress forward because you still feel crappy. Um. So anyways, that moved into a little bit more of a preachy place, but that's just something that I wanted to share with you. Okay, number eight. One of my core wounds is I assume when someone meets me that they don't like me. Now, I don't want messages about, oh, Veronica, I'm so sorry, or we love you or whatever. I'm not fishing for anything like that. I just want to share with you what one of my core beliefs are and um, something that I've been working on and I have been shifting. And it's, I mean, light years better than it was even a year ago, but certainly a few years ago. But I just realized at one point that I had a belief where I thought as soon as I met someone, I just assumed they didn't like me or all the friends I had were just fake liking me. It was just something that I always believed. I have theories about where it came from, and I'm doing work on that for sure. But it's just something that I've always struggled with. And I really believe that our core wounds, we can't ever be totally free or rid of them. Um, They just show up in different ways in our life. Um, and, And so, you know, for me, it's not showing up socially so much anymore, but it definitely shows up when it comes to sending an email or sharing a podcast episode or an Instagram post. I'm like, oh, they're not going to like this, and and so I think it's just kind of new level, new devil. And so my goal in life and is not to get rid of this belief or this fear. It's just to work with it and continuing allowing it to guide me to um, wounds and things that I want to heal in in my life. All right, number nine, the ninth thing you might not know about me is I've become, okay, so I turned 33 on the 31st of December, I'm a Capricorn, and I feel like I'm at a point now where I don't feel 20, but I'm very aware that I'm not 50 or my 50s or 40s, and I've noticed that when I smile on Instagram or in a picture that I have crow's feet and my body doesn't have the same metabolism or just simply work the way that it used to when I was 20 years old. And I know that there's a lot of a lot of you who are older than me in your 40s or 50s or older 30s and 60s and beyond. And so I know you're probably like massive old ro- eye rolls. I can hear the eye rolls from here. Like, oh, Veronica, you're so young, you don't even know. And so I'm, I'm very well aware that I'm not quote unquote old. Um, but I'm just beginning to feel like I'm not in that young adult stage, and I just feel myself transitioning to that next stage of life from being like this young maiden, so to speak, to the next, I don't know, age bracket or just the next um, phase in my life. And it just feels a little weird. It feels a little scary. Um, it definitely brings up, it's definitely bringing up some body image issues that I've had when I was younger, but, you know, with different things around like, oh my God, do I have wrinkles in my eyes or are my eyes looking more puffy or whatever. And it's just something that I'm coming to terms with, and I'm learning to embrace and to love, and I'm not there yet. Um, But it's super real for me, and it's super present. And the 10th thing you might not know about me is I'm really, really, really messy. And this is probably the thing that surprises people the most when they meet me, because or when they see me in person, because Especially like a lot of my business colleagues, I'm, among my business friends, I'm known for being really organized in my business. And I am really organized in my business. I've, I've got project timelines, I've got due dates, I've got a to do list. I have no problem knocking things off my to do list. I don't procrastinate, I get things done early. I'm really, really organized. I'm very rarely working off the seat of my pants when it comes to my work. And so a lot of people know that about me and they just assume that I'm also super anal about things being where they're supposed to go and things having a home and cleanliness and everything like that. And I would say lately, I have been a little bit more into, no, I've been very into wanting to be organized and clean in my daily life when it comes to my desk and my bedroom and my office and the kitchen and the living room and all that kind of stuff. But it's not my It's not how I normally function. And if there was one thing that my husband and I fight the most, it's over my messiness. And if there was one thing that my parents got mad at me the most growing up, it was definitely also my messiness. I would say I've gotten a lot better because as I've gotten more, I guess you could say woo and into the manifesting, I really do believe that having a clean space really invites in more of what you want, whether it's happiness, love, money, clients, Friends, all those things, and so I have been taking more efforts to recondo my house and to get ideas on how to, d- to decorate my house and to make sure everything has a home. Um, because if there's if something has a home, then for me it's much easier. From like I don't know my analness to click in and be like this goes here. Um, Because, you know, it's really funny. Sometimes our living room can be an absolute disaster, but I know that this specific item has a home and I'll be like, Stevie, why isn't this thing where it belongs? Meanwhile, the rest of my living room or our living room is like a complete mess, but I can just be really anal about that one thing. Um, And so, you know, I might, be waking up a monster by, you know, making everything have a home because then I'll just be anal about it. But maybe that'll be a good thing. Um, but yeah, I'm actually fairly messy and it's really embarrassing sometimes, a lot of times. And, um, sometimes I feel like I can't, you know, share an Instagram photo or I don't have anywhere to do an Instagram story because I'm like, Oh, everything's messy. There's not a good view behind me. And people are going to judge me or think I'm a fraud or a fake or whatever. And, um, Yeah. So that's where I am. I'm, I I do want to, at some point, we're probably not going to do it here in California, but at some point I would love to hire a Marie Kondo, um, consultant and just have them help me give everything a home and get rid of stuff that we don't, need or isn't sparking joy or whatever it is, because I, I start to do it and then I just can never finish it. And I think I need some support in doing that. And so at some point, I would love to hire a Marie Kondo expert or consultant, um, but it's just probably not going to happen now, most likely. Well, definitely. So, so yeah, so those are 10 things you didn't know about me. I hope that, well, you just hopefully found this interesting. And I also hope that maybe something resonated or something um, struck a chord with you. I know everyone is unique and has their own Experiences, but I hope some things that I've gone through or are going through can help shed light or, or at least make you feel a little less alone and more like it's okay to be human, and being human is messy sometimes, literally. So that is my podcast for today. If you love this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you've left me a rating or review in iTunes. I love hearing your feedback. I love knowing what you love and what you don't love so I can make this podcast better for you. And of course, it does help to grow the show, which I greatly appreciate. So quick tap of the stars, or if you have a few extra seconds, leave a quick review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps so much. And I'm deeply, deeply appreciative of it. Once you listen to this, come over to Instagram and let me know what really um, stuck out for you or what, what resonated or um, maybe share something like you're embarrassed to share um, with me. You can send me a DM. That's totally fine because I think that there's a humanness that can come from that. And when we can feel that humanness, and I think we feel a little less alone. And when we feel a little less alone, I think we feel generally happier. So if you want to share something that I didn't know about you, which I probably don't. But if you want to share something that feels a little embarrassing or vulnerable, even with something silly, or it can be something deep, that's fine, too. I would love to hear. So my Instagram is Veronica E. Grant. Come over there and let me know. All right, my dears, that is all I have for you this week. Next week, I've got a really special episode. It's something that I've never really done before on the podcast, and I'm really excited to share it with you. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. remember... Remember this, wherever you are is exactly where you need to be. You aren't broken. You don't need to be fixed. And even if you've never had the relationship you want before, it doesn't mean you can't have it now.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.